I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash inner academy. Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. This podcast is a manifestation of our interconnected lives, and we wish to keep it free at all costs, if you can say that. So, we are dependent on the generosity of you, our listeners. So, please go to mindpodnetwork.com slash kd, and either use the donate button, or just bookmark the Amazon portal. We receive a small percentage of however much you pay for whatever you bought. Nothing extra for you, but a tangible contribution, if small, for us. You could also sign up for a free trial with the voluminous audible.com. We get something out of that, too. We thank you for the support and allowing us to continue presenting Krishnadas's excellent talks. You can't think yourself out of a room or a prison that's made of thought. 
Every thought is the prison. Yeah, I think I'm going to do this. Then do it. Don't think about it. So we don't have to understand in our heads what's going on. We just have to have that longing, that intelligence, that pain in the knee, which keeps bringing us back from all the stuff that pulls us out of ourselves. And then, then we start to feel other things, things that we don't get to feel in this world so often, like peace of mind, like calmness. Oh, I just threw away my Valiums, but I don't care. <laughs> peace of mind is really, really uh, underrated. One time I was in the Copenhagen airport, and I heard that a Lama that I had wanted to meet for a very long time was in Denmark on his way to the United States. And I was in Denmark on my way to Sweden. And my friends were with him. And it turned out we would both be in the, in the airport at the same time. So we kind of made a plan that we could meet, I could meet. We could all meet there so I could meet this Lama. This Lama is a very wonderful Lama. And his father was one of the greatest of the last generation of Rinpoches who had been born in Tibet and come to Nepal in India. His name is Chokinima Rinpoche. The, the son, the father's name was Tukul Urjan. So I wanted to meet Chokinima. I had met two of his other brothers, and I really wanted to meet him. So it was all arranged. We were going to be there. I was going to wait for them in one part of the airport. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and they weren't showing up. I couldn't find them, so I said, all right, I'm going to walk back to the other side of the airport where you come through security. That way, I cannot miss him, right? So I walked all the way back, and I walked up to, to this door that you come through after going through security. I got there, and as soon as I got there, he walked right out. Now. Just for fun, I'm going to tell you this. I had gone to see my dentist about six months before this. And I had been going to see this other dentist who would x-ray me with this computer x-ray thing, you know, and he said, oh, your teeth are great. Yeah, I'll fix a little something here, I'll fix a little something there. But everything he fixed fell apart. You know, I'd have to go back again, he would fix it and go back. Guy was a pain in the ass. So I went back to my old dentist across the river. It was a long drive. I didn't want to go there, but I figured, this guy. And he almost killed me talking to everybody about, you know, while he's working on me. So I went back to my old dentist. He looks in my mouth, and he goes, oh. I said, what do you mean, oh? He said, do you eat candy? I said, no. Ricola's. I used to sing with a Ricola right there, three or four nights a week, three or four hours a night. I had rotted out every tooth in my mouth. Half of them shouldn't have been able to got, got, get rotten. They were, they were plastic in the first place. <laughs> so I had all this dental work done, right? See? 
day after day, week after week. I actually had to get a job to pay for that. <laughs> oh, this is my job. Okay. Anyway, I just finished all that work, right? And I walk back across the, air, the airport, and I come up to the thing. The llama comes to the thing, and he goes, he goes, oh, hi, I know you. And I said, no, Rinpoche, I don't think we've met before, but maybe Danny told you. And he goes, your teeth. <laughs> he breaks out in a hysterical laugh or pointing at my teeth. And I go, <laughs> what did he see, like the black hole or something from some, you know? They were all new, beautiful teeth, but he just looked at them and laughed. <laughs> I guess from his plane of consciousness, that they just like, they looked like the black hole or something, because it was unreal. There was nothing there that was humanly made. <laughs> Anyhow, that was just a little side. So what happens was, anyway, so he, he's, we start walking together, and he says, uh, so what do you do? And I said, uh, well, you know, I, I lead chanting. I do chanting. Oh, what kind of chanting? I said, you know, Sri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai Jai Ram, Hare Krishna. Little Tibetan Lama, right? He goes, Hare Krishna? I love Hare Krishna. And he takes my arm. He puts his arm. He locks arms with me. And he raises his other hand. And he starts going through the airport to the really fanciest shopping area. Going, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Come on, sing. Hare Krishna. Come on, sing, sing. I'm going like. And th this wasn't just 30 seconds. This was like a 20-minute walk. Come on, sing. My, I was bruised, you know. A Buddhist lama. Who knew? Anyway, we walk over towards where my friends are waiting, and he makes a, a right turn. And he takes me up the stairs into this quiet little corner, and we sit down, just the two of us. And he gets real quiet. And we're just sitting there together for a few minutes. And he goes, um, he said, if I write a song, will you sing it? If you write it, I'll sing it. You talk to people? I said, yeah. Tell them about peace of mind. Tell them how important peace of mind is. And then we just went downstairs and met with our friends, and that was, you know, but that was a really powerful moment for me. You know, we, everybody wants bliss. Everybody wants to be jumping up and down all the time. Just give me this much peace of mind, and I'll stay home. You know? It's underrated. It's underrated. We get so programmed to want, 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 want. Bliss just becomes another thing we want. We don't know what the hell it is, but it sounds good. Oh, I'll take that. Want, 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 want. Peace of mind means just chilling. Being okay with things as they are, even if they're not exactly the way we want them to be at the moment. Peace of mind is a very powerful, powerful, powerful quality. You can't manufacture it. Thinking about peace of mind is not the same as being peaceful. 
these names that we sing are, the, are names of that place that, that's, which, which has the qualities of extraordinary peace and very deep sense of presence and space and incredible sweetness and love. But you can't think your way into that. One has to allow it to arise from within by doing practice of some kind. You spend your whole life thinking, you're going to spend your whole death thinking. Just the way we live is the way we die. And believe it or not, almost everybody you know is going to die. <laughs> Sooner or later. So it would be a good idea to get some idea of who we are, what's going on here now, so we can have a clue of what might be going on a little bit later in our lives. See, I'm old now. I can say this shit. <laughs> and nobody can stop me. When I was younger, I didn't really think about it. You live as if, oh, it's always going to be like this. Even when people are popping off all around you. Oh, I'm going to live forever. We don't say it, because obviously we'd never believe it. But everything we do is predicated on that. That we, we never think it's going to end. All the plans we make that are so important. We imagine we're going to be around to carry them through. Who knows? I remember when my friend Jack Kinney died in seventh grade, sniffing glue. You know, I don't remember it feeling much. You know, I felt bad, but... And then I had another friend who died in ninth grade from cancer. It's interesting. As a kid, you don't really want to focus on that. But I think it's time we grow up and pay some attention. You can't eat shit your whole life and then expect to be a golden egg when you die. You know, like makes like. The way we live today is the way we're going to be living tomorrow and the day after. So if we want changes in our life, we have to find a way to make those changes. And for most of us, we don't have the will to just say from now on, no sugar. I don't have the will. We have to find a way to get the will to pay attention. That's number one thing. So we do these practices, and that's where the, the strength and the power comes from, by doing these practices. Not that we can have to really understand how it works, but when you do a practice, think of all the things you're not doing. You're not out there yelling at people on the highway. You're not robbing banks. You're not beating people up. You're not beating yourself up, except when you're doing the practice, you're usually thinking, like, I can't do this, goddammit. So you are beating yourself up a little bit. But maybe you let go of it a little earlier than 30 years. Practice is what germinates the seed of awareness, of being awareness, aware of awareness, of being here a little bit. It's what gives us the strength to let go the ability to let go. My father was a shrink. And 
he talked to people about their problems for years and years and years. And his, as much as he wanted to help people, he knew that if they didn't come to see him, he wasn't going to be able to pay their rent. So it's very interesting. Pay his rent, I mean. So the whole culture is designed to keep us engaged and not let go. It's only through doing these practices that we begin to understand a little bit of what we're seeing all the time in ourselves and others. One of my lamas said, you know, he said, it's so weird, he said, in America, everything works. Electricity, roads, but people's hearts are broken. He said, in the East, nothing works. But their hearts aren't broken. They're happy. And that's a generalization, but you know, it's not untrue. Well, this, is the, this is the land of the broken. What becomes of the broken heart? <laughs> Who sang that? 64,000 rupee question. <laughs> the temptations? Jimmy Ruffin. Jimmy Ruffin, right on, dude. Who did that? Who said that? Jimmy Ruffin, right, great singer. This is the land of the brokenhearted. It's also the land of a thousand dances. Da, 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 da. It's the land of jet lag, too. But really, that's the problem. We've we got to find a way to heal our broken hearts. We're born into this culture that doesn't believe you can ever be happy or find real love. So advertising kicks in, doing business kicks in. I once asked one of my, my teachers, Sidney Ma, who had been with Maharaji for 40 years. I said, Ma, what is it with Westerners? Why can't we accept love? What's wrong with us? Why can't we love and, and accept love? What's so hard? She said, Krishnadas, what were your parents thinking about when you were conceived? Hmm. I don't think they were chanting Hare Krishna. <laughs> All right. And then she said, what were they eating in those days? Hmm. McDonald's didn't have veggie burgers then. And then she said, you know, and affection is used by parents to control the children. It's, it's withheld if a child is not doing what you want them to do. They're screaming too loud or not paying attention to you. And it's given when they act like the way you want them to act. You think your kids are stupid? They know. They learn right away. If they want to get what they need, which is food and a little huggy-poo and all that stuff, then they got to give the parents what they want, these huge, monstrous beings living in the room looking down at them, talking low like this. These people could crush them. So they got it, uh, hi. <laughs> to the best of their ability, they give, they give the parents what they know the parents want so they can get some affection and, and food and stuff like that. And so, fuck it, we're doing business from day one. And it don't end. When is it going to end? It ain't going to end. There's no way it can end. Is there anything in this culture that 
would allow for doing that kind of business to end? How many movies, uh, romance movies and books and soap operas, it's all about finding love out there where it could never be found. Because it ain't out there. It's in here, but nobody tells you that. So. <laughs> but right back to where we started. We're here today. Something got us here, right? You're not here by mistake. You actually wanted to come here. <laughs> Most of you. Some of your friends <laughs> dragged me and said, Oh, God, let's check this guy out. He's supposed to be funny. <laughs> Those are the people who are going to get beat up later when they get home. <laughs> but most of you actually made a decision, a semi-unconscious decision to come here and spend the afternoon doing this because you want something and you know you don't have it. And that's a very good thing. That's a very, very good, that's the fruit of so many lifetimes of looking for it in the first place. Because think of all the people who don't give a shit and who don't know that there's shit to give. That's the, that's the sad thing. Think about it. All those cranky bastards out there on the highway cutting you off all the time, they don't care. And so what? So they never find. Their own actions are creating more and more violence for themselves, more and more hatred, more and more anger. And certain trees, certain things can't grow in that, in that environment, except more and more of the same. But this eventually turns out to be a wonderful thing for us in the sense that when, we're, when we stop getting scared of our own feelings, just enough to be able to look and see what another person might be feeling, then we start to feel, naturally, we start to develop compassion and caring and kindness. It's incredible. When somebody cuts you off on the highway, your first thought is, may you be safe. May you be happy. And may you never fucking cut me off again. And may you live in peace. <laughs> so three out of four ain't bad, right? You know, in loving kindness meditation practice, you know, you, there's four, essentially four things. May you be safe and be, may be free from the causes of harm. May be uh, healthy and free from the causes of uh, disease. May you, uh, may you be, uh, uh, what is it? May you be safe. I've only done it a million times. May you be safe. May you be happy and free from the causes of unhappiness. May you be healthy. And may you live at ease of heart, at peace. Have peace with everyone, no matter what comes to you in life. So, which is fine. You start off doing the practice with these four essential phrases, and you just repeat them. And you try to connect to the feeling, you know. You, you, they ask you to, to pick somebody, one person in your life, they call in, to the tr traditional word is benefactor, somebody who's just always been on your side, maybe your grandmother, or some, some person who no matter how 
screwed up you've been or how many times you, your license got taken away and how many times the police brought you over for drunken driving, they were always on your side, right? So that's the benefactor. So you bring that person to mind and then you start offering that person these phrases. You know, and because you love this person, and you love them because they've never turned away from you and given you a hard time. So that's what we're calling love here. It's, it's, it's close enough. So, you, you know, you start offering these phrases and you, feel, you start to feel a little elevated. This feels good. And then they say, okay, now offer the phrases to yourself. <laughs> we crash. Immediately we crash. It's so hard to wish ourselves well. We feel guilty. Because nobody around us ever does that. Our parents didn't wish themselves well. They, went, they didn't know what that means. How are we going to know what that means? Well, we, by mistake and karmic accident, we actually tripped across something real, this practice. Okay, so then the next thing is the enemy, which means somebody who's always been on your case, never given you a break. You just, you know... If you had the choice and you knew, guaranteed, that nobody would ever see, you'd hit the guy with a fucking hammer. You know? <laughs> However, since that's not possible, they say, okay, now bring the enemy to mind, this person, and wish them well. Oh, I, I just couldn't do it until I made up my uh, extra phrase. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease of heart so that you never fucking give me a hard time again. <laughs> May you be safe. That was the best I could do for like 10 years. But after a while, you, it's, it's just like that pain in your knee that brings you back from Nuna land and you realize you've been chanting here. You see a person suffering, you see a person and it opens your heart. It's disgusting when that happens. You can't hang on to your anger or your self-righteousness. You can't, you, you can't hang on to that feeling of being victimized by that person because you look in their eyes and there's somebody in there that's just so unhappy. This is how compassion starts to grow. And compassion is one of those things that one of those things that turns out it's a natural quality of ours when we're not threatened, when we're not living in the world of, okay, I have this much and you have that much, and if you have that much, it means there's only this much for me. I better try to get more for me, which means you and I have to fight over what's left. You can't have compassion if you're stuck in that kind of place. So we act like love and happiness are things that are in limited quantity. And if somebody else has them, we can't get them. Hello? That's stupid. Love is not in a limited quantity. Joy, happiness are not in limited quantities. If somebody else ha has it, does it mean there's less for you? And that's the hardest thing of all, they say. There's this thing in Buddhism they call the four immeasurable qualities, which essentially means when we're God, this is what we're going to feel. First thing is 
Compassion for all people, all beings. Second one is loving kindness, which is a slightly different flavor than compassion. The third one is equanimity, peace of mind, no matter what. And the fourth and most difficult quality to develop is what they call spontaneous joy, mudita, which means joy upon seeing someone else's joy. We usually just smile and go, oh, that's nice, great, you got a new job and a raise of 400 million more dollars. <laughs> that's really wonderful. <laughs> so that's not spontaneous joy, that's natural selfishness. But it's actually possible to not have that program running after a while. And it all comes from practice. Like I said, this prison of me, this room of me, this building of me, which will eventually be broken down by this, the name growing and growing within us, this presence growing and growing within us. You can't think your way into this or out of it. It's what happens when you're not thinking, which is almost none of the time. But it, it's still going on. It's a process that's going on. You just, we can't be aware of it intellectually. We can be aware of it looking back at our lives after a period of time. We might notice that we don't act and react the same way that we used to in, this, in certain situations. We might not, but we might. For instance, and I, I, you know, I have to bear witness to this, I actually mope around less than I did. Really? I mean, I really don't mope around that much. I'm still cranky. There's no... Forget that. That ain't gonna go away. But I don't mope the same way I mope. I used to mope. Mope around day after day from one room in the house to another. Sit in a chair and mope. Make my tea and mope. Go to the store and mope. It was, it was home base for me. And I, I, the truth is, I don't mope that much anymore. I'll take it. I'm sorry if you're not impressed. I am fucking impressed. <clears throat> Sometimes I mope around just for fun. Because I miss it, you know? It's like, it's like 90% of my life I spend as a moper. Every once in a while, it's good. Wow, this is great. You know, I can do this? Yeah, you can do it as much as you want. Okay, it's enough. Thank you for listening to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. We really appreciate your support and hope you'll continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com kd and clicking on the donate button or using our amazon.com portal for all of your purchases. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste.